This morning, we're going to dive into the second reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. And so if you'd like to, you don't have to, but I invite you, if you want to open up the White Source and Summit hymnals, you can follow along with that on page 545. 545 in the white hymnals, if you want to look at the text. We also have some of these Bibles uh, by the sides of the church we've had out. You can use those Bibles anytime you're in church for reference and put them back when you're done. And uh, while you're opening up to that page, we're going to simulcast the Vikings game right now to check in on what the score is. So, uh, Tom, if you can make that happen. Just kidding, just kidding. Someone asked me this week, before I knew about this whole thing, they were like, Father, are we having an early morning Sunday Mass? And I'm like, ah, like, am I missing some feast day? Like, what do you mean? No, Father, the the game's on 8.30. I was like, oh, no. No, 9 o'clock was what it'll be. So last night's Mass was pretty packed, actually, here at St. Rose. So, uh, so we'll get to the scriptures in just a moment, but I, I want to tell you a little story from last week's youth ministry event. We had our, our youth ministry bonfire on Thursday night, and it was great. We had, we had games, we had hamburgers from Knights of Columbus, we had s'mores, and we had a, a nice bonfire, but it wasn't like in a bonfire pit. It was in this really cool, like, metal, stainless steel, uh, Yukon Solo stove is what it was called. So maybe you've seen these advertised. It's like it burns super hot. And the cool thing about this little stove is that it's great for bonfires and it completely burns the wood. It like burns every part of what you put in it. It turns totally to ashes. There's no like little sticks in there, no like chunks of log. It burns it completely. So you don't need to like stir the logs, like turn them over and poke the fire. Kind of a cool thing. And I want you to, to think about that picture because there's your typical bonfire where you've got to move the logs around and kick up the flames, and you've got the Yukon Solo stove, the complete burn. It's, it's even smokeless, okay? So keep that in mind. There's these two different ways we had, we had the Yukon Solo stove because St. Paul says, and Ms. Phillips, if you can help me out here, St. Paul says in the first line of the second reading, Beloved, I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have. Stir into flame the gift of God. Like Paul is telling Timothy, there's a lot of light and heat to be released, but you've got to do something about it. You've got to stir this flame up. And for Christians, our hearts are not like the Yukon Solo stove. By the way, I promise I'm getting no commission for saying that so many times. But... We're not like the Yukon Solo Stove. We're like the classic bonfire pit where you've got to turn the logs over. You have to stir the embers. You've got to poke at that fire to release the energy that's, that's waiting, that's there. That's how Paul begins this reading to Timothy and to us today. So we're going to just step back a moment and talk about uh, what is the second letter to Timothy because we're going to go through it the next four Sundays in church. Well, who's writing this letter? It's St. Paul. He's been traveling the known world as Christ's apostle, proclaiming that God has saved us through his anointed one, the Messiah. He's raised his son from the dead, and we have the promise of eternal life by God's grace. But now Paul's in prison in Rome. He's on trial for his life, and it's not looking good. In fact, as he writes to Timothy, you can hear the sense in his writing that he's coming to the end. He's probably going to be executed. So that's who's writing the letter. Who's receiving this letter? It's Timothy, St. Timothy. 
He's Paul's young fellow disciple and his protege. And he's a bishop of the city of Ephesus. You know how Paul has that letter to the Ephesians? That is the church of Ephesus. It's the first disciples in that community. And Paul sent Timothy there to be the bishop, to be a leader over these people. We have the first letter of Paul to Timothy where he gives Timothy practical advice and a commission. And he really warns him about confronting the false teachers in Ephesus. They're teaching false, strange things about food, marriage, and sex, and they're dividing the church. So Paul sends him there, and he also tells Timothy to appoint presbyters and deacons to help him in his ministry as a bishop. That sounds familiar. The bishop, Timothy, appoints priests and deacons to assist him in shepherding the flock. So that's the first letter of Timothy. Now Paul's writing him again to encourage him and to challenge him. And he finishes the letter with a request for Timothy to visit him in prison before the winter comes. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go through some of the verses we have today. And I thought, you know, this is a lot of text up here, so you can can use your, your hymnals. If you want to look up here, I made some special colorization for you. Go ahead, Ms. Phillips. There we go. I thought some Halloween colors would be nice, so we'll focus in on some of those words here in the orange. The first thing Paul says is he addresses Timothy as beloved. I just love that. Timothy is sharing this partnership, but he's not like an employee of Paul. He's not just like a co-worker. He's family. He calls Timothy my, my beloved child elsewhere in the letter. I think it's so important because he's going to actually challenge Timothy several times in this letter, but he keeps on talking to him as beloved, my beloved child. Then he says this thing about, I remind you, stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. Timothy, you're not the Yukon solo stove. You've got to stir that gift up somehow. Well, what's the gift of God that Timothy has? In this context, it's talking about the gift of ordination given to him as a bishop. He's a successor to the apostles. He's Paul's successor. He's meant to carry on the ministry of Christ. And it happened through the laying on of hands. Every time a man is ordained as a deacon, a priest, or a bishop, the bishop lays his hands on him. That happened to me twice as a deacon, then as a priest. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit that this person has is now being poured out to you in the same way. It's a gift of God given for ministry. So when Paul says, stir into flame that gift, he's not telling Timothy, hey, you've lost the gift. Come back to Rome so I can give it to you again. No, he's saying there's more light and energy and warmth and power in you, but you need to turn the logs over. You've got to stir the embers, fan the flame. For us, you know, we can remember that everyone in this church here who's baptized has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the fire of God within you. And if you're confirmed, you even have a deeper share of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And after Mass today, when I'm going to baptize Pearson, by the way, is Pearson here? Is Pearson, Pearson's back here. Pearson's going to have the imposition of hands over Pearson this morning as a sign the Holy Spirit's coming into this child. That happened to all of you who are baptized and confirmed. You received the gift and you're meant to use that gift. 
but you got to fan the flame and stir the fire because that's how you're made. It's not just automatic, that perfect burn like the Yukon stove. You don't need to be rebaptized, you don't need to be reconfirmed, but you've got to do something to stir the fire. And that can be something as small as a mustard seed, something, one small step. You can stir that flame by saying, I'm going to just pray for five more minutes every day. Or I'm going to read St. Paul's second letter to Timothy this week and just kind of like drink in those words. You can serve someone else to stir that flame. One big way is celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation. That's a huge way to let the energy and the power of the Holy Spirit be released in the sacrament of mercy. And then one more step, if you want to stir into flame the gift of God you have, forgive someone who's offended you. Forgiveness is a powerful way to release the energy of the Holy Spirit. But do something, even if it's a mustard seed, to stir into flame the gift of God that you have in your baptism and your confirmation. Maybe you're wondering, like, how do I know if I need to stir the fire? How do I know if that should happen? Well, Paul tells Timothy how he can know. He asks him, basically, how are you making decisions? Are you making decisions out of a spirit of cowardice? Or are you making decisions from a standpoint of power, love, and self-control? And that word cowardice is the only place that occurs in the New Testament. It's not just the usual word for fear, phobos, where we get phobia from. It's a particular word. Cowardice is, is really not just like I'm afraid of something, but it's actually that I'm able to confront this challenge and I still don't want to. It's like you're sent into a, into a battle with the best equipment, the best weapons, the best training, and if you turn back and you have everything you need, that's cowardice. Paul is telling Timothy, if you're making decisions out of cowardice, that's not from God. You have everything you need. God actually gives you the spirit of power. Dunamis in the Greeks, where we get dynamite from. It's the explosive power of the resurrection in Timothy. You've got power. You've got love. Agape. That's the divine love of Jesus dwelling in you. You can love other people like that. You've got power, love, and self-control. Jesus let all of his human energies be channeled towards serving the Father and the kingdom. Everything else was secondary. Timothy is equipped with power, love, and self-control, and so are we. So as we go about our day, if we sense ourselves kind of falling into this cowardice of like just kind of drawing back from things that require faith, that require us to serve, to love, it's like we've got to stir into flame the gift we have because God does not give us a spirit of cowardice. Next, St. Paul said to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake, but bear your share of hardship for the gospel. Do not be ashamed of your testimony. You know, it's one thing to feel guilty, if we, if we act out of cowardice, if we do something wrong, we can feel guilty, but if we're ashamed, that usually has to do with other people seeing that. Other people see what I've done that I'm not proud of. So we don't know for sure, but we kind of wonder, like, is, is Paul telling Timothy this because is Timothy ashamed of 
his faith in Christ? Do you afraid to, is he afraid to let it be seen? You know, he, he's a young bishop. He's, he's a young protege of Paul. Or is he ashamed of knowing Paul personally? Because he's in prison, and to this day, when someone that you're close to is in prison, people sometimes raise an eyebrow. Oh, you know that person? You're connected with him? Maybe even they're thinking, well, Timothy, like, this is going to happen to him too. He's going to get thrown in prison, and then what? Paul says, don't be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor to me. You know, I think if, if we were walking through Rosedale Mall or walking down the street in Roseville, and someone just came up to us and said, hey, are you a Christian? Are you a Catholic? I think most of us would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I believe in Christ. Like, like why? I think most of us would, would say yes to that, not be ashamed. But I do know that at other times, it can be a little bit more hard. Even in simple things like when you're in a restaurant with your family or other people, can you make the sign of the cross and really take a moment to pray over your meal? even if, like, the server sees you or other people see you? Like, are you able to do that without shame? Like, this is, this is who we are. Or if you're uh, at the cabin on vacation and you're with a whole bunch of people and it's Sunday morning and there's a car there and the other parish isn't that far away, do we ever get ashamed of being like, you know what, I, I need to go to church this morning. I've got to head out for a little bit, even if no one else does. Or are we like, I, I don't want to be, like, the weird one. Or if someone like makes a joke about Catholics, about how bigoted Catholics are, their teachings, or this and that, do we ever say anything? Or do we just keep our mouth shut every time? Are we sometimes ashamed to give testimony to our Lord or to His people? You know, Jesus talks about shame in the gospel too, and He has some really strong words about this. He says in Luke 9, 26, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. The Son of Man is him. If, like, whoever's ashamed of me, like, I'm going to be ashamed of on the last day of history. Like, guys, that is, that is tough words to hear. And I'm not saying that we don't have a times where we succeed at this and times where we fail, we're not always perfect, but it's like Jesus is saying, like, I've given everything to give testimony to you before the Father that this is my child who is saved. I died for them. I wasn't ashamed to shed my blood for them, hang on the cross for them, hang on the cross for you. It's like, why would we ever be ashamed of giving testimony to Christ? Why would we ever be ashamed of that? Because God didn't give us a spirit of cowardice. That's not what we have. He gave you a spirit of power and love and self-control. We're called to give testimony to Christ in our words and deeds so that when we go before God's throne at the end of our lives, Jesus does not hang his head and say, why are you so ashamed of me? I didn't give you the spirit of cowardice, but he'll look at us straight in the eye and lift up our head and bring us into the kingdom. I think sometimes why we can fall into that just keeping our mouth shut and not saying anything and not, not doing anything is because I think sometimes we can forget that we have a share of hardship to bear for the gospel. And that's what we'll end on today. St. Paul tells the Timothy, says to Timothy, bear your share of hardship for the gospel. It's not zero. 
It's not nothing. You have a share in this. This makes sense to us, like, in, in life. I mean, if you're on a team at work, and you're working on a project together, like, you know you have to bear a share of the hardship of the time, the effort, the energy. Like, we understand that. If you're on a hockey team or a football team, you know that you have to bear your share of hardship for the sake of the common good. I've got to put the time into practice, the energy, the sweat, the tears on the, on the field, in the rink. Like, we get that. We have a share of hardship to bear for the team. Or even, like, among our friends, like, just, like, socially, we know that if we're part of a group of friends, that sometimes we'll have to bear the share of hardship of hosting them, of having them over to our house, and having to clean our house and serve them at our house, and then go over to their house. Like, we all get that we have a share of hardship to bear that's not zero. So why, when it comes to following Jesus, do we not think that? Why do we think, like, that, that's other people in other countries? Like, I... I I don't have a share of hardship to bear. Like, why, why would that be hard for me? I'll just go with the flow. Well, going with the flow is not what the Scriptures say because we hear in the Scriptures, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's like an absolute statement. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Doesn't mean it's going to be every day doesn't mean we're all going to be martyrs, but all of us who are believers, we will be persecuted in different ways, and it's our share of hardship as partners in the gospel with Paul and Timothy and Deb and Shannon and Maisie and Pearson. You know, when Pearson gets baptized this morning, his parents are going to love him, family's going to take care of him, he's going to grow up as a strong young Christian. But at a certain point, Christ will say to him, now my child, I have something for you to bear. And you won't bear it alone. You're not going to be off all by yourself. I'm going to give you the strength that comes from God, Jesus says. But you'll have something to bear. Because it's worth it. It's worth stirring into flame the gift of God inside of us so that others can be saved by Jesus, that others can hear the good news. This week, brothers and sisters, I encourage you, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy and read these words again and ask God, how do you want me to stir up into flame the gift of God that I have? How do you want me to have the spirit of of power and love and self-control anew? Because God did not give you a spirit of cowardice, brothers and sisters, He gave you faith the size of a mustard seed. And if you let that little seed grow, then your power, your love, and your self-control will blossom and become massive and tall and strong. And when you go before the throne of God one day, unashamed of Jesus and of those who are in prison for him, Christ will say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master.